0: Sending kids to camp, that's exactly right. Which I personally think is a very good investment, uh, not just uh, for a bicycle that is very comfortable. By the way, that seat is right in all the right places, I just wanted to tell you that. (laughs) Sometimes like there's thoughts in my head I should probably just keep them to myself, you know what I mean? Yeah, Uh, if I'm thinking it doesn't mean I have to say it. Anyway. Uh, But what makes it even better is it's investing in this next generation and gives them an opportunity to really have a solid foundation. Camp's very important. Out of curiosity, anybody in here as an adult come to faith when you were at a a camp, either either as a child or as a student? Yeah, look at that. Powerful stuff. How many of you all made a real commitment to follow Jesus at a camp when you were growing up? Wow, look at that. God's going to do some powerful things this year. Summer. Well, this morning uh, we have moved out of the great sermon, the great sermon on the mount in Matthew chapters five through seven, and this morning we are we're picking up where Kevin left off, and we are now jumping in to chapters eight and nine. And there's a reason why I connect these two chapters together. Over the chapter eight and nine, we're going to see ten miraculous healings of Jesus. Uh, And there's no mistake, this was intentional by the author Matthew to demonstrate the power of faith, but also to demonstrate Jesus' authority. And I want to give us just an overview of the healings that we are going to witness uh, through chapters 8 and 9. We're going to see, as we saw last week, a leper healed. And what's interesting, with each healing, the means of Jesus' healing, each one is different. Well, he healed the leper with a touch. This morning, we're going to see a paralyzed, dying servant healed with a word from a distance. We will see Peter's mother-in-law healed with a touch from her fever. We will see many who were sick and demon-possessed healed with a word as Jesus cast out the demons and healed the sick with a touch. We will see two demon-possessed men healed with a word. A paralyzed man healed, again, with a word. A woman with a flow of blood. And this is so fascinating. She was healed when she reached out and touched Jesus. And then we will see a deceased daughter miraculously raised from the dead and healed with a touch. And two blind men healed with a touch. Chapters 8 and 9. It is saturated in the miraculous healings of Jesus. And, the, and there are some significant purposes as to why we have these recorded miracles in the Gospels. I'm going to give you three reasons. The first reason that we have this, this, these miracles captured in the Scriptures is one, to demonstrate Jesus' compassion. To demonstrate Jesus' compassion for the sufferer. I love this verse, Matthew nine thirty six, When he being Jesus saw the crowds he had compassion for them why because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd boy isn't that a description of our life at times yeah there's times in our life where we are harassed and helpless and you know if we're not careful we can kind of sterilize these miracles and kind of look at them through a theological microscope and we lose sight of the incredible compassion of our great shepherd who shepherds us and heals us and cares for us. The first reason we see these miracles, the purpose is to demonstrate Jesus' compassion. Secondly, to demonstrate Jesus' authority and power as the Son of God. He has authority, as we will see, over sickness and paralysis and blindness and demonic possession. He has authority over the weather. He has authority over creation. And as we saw in the Sermon on the Mount, people were like, wow, he teaches with authority. Well, it accords with Matthew 28:18. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to the Lord Jesus Christ we will see very clearly Jesus' authority and power as the Son of God demonstrated. And third, purpose of miracles is to increase the faith, to increase our faith as we look back on these miracles, but to also increase the faith of those who observed and experienced the miracles firsthand. To increase faith. And we'll, we'll come to see, time and time again, faith really is the main focus theme outside of Jesus' authority of each of the healings. It's all about faith. True and desperate faith. As we will see, faith is a powerful thing. As Hebrews 11:6 tells us, in fact, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith leads us to do some very profound things. And as we look at these scriptures, and really in our own experience, we come to discover that faith is like a muscle, okay? Uh, it takes action, okay? It's a verb. Faith just, doesn't just sit there. No, in fact, James tells us that faith without works is dead. There is there's, there's real faith exercise, and we're put in these, these situations and circumstances, these workouts. You know, for me personally, I'm a part of a gym, and, and every time we go in, the coach demonstrates the lift. Before we do it, you know, and that's really what studying Scripture is—it's it's giving us the, the the method. Like this is how we live out our faith. Here is proper faith form because we're going to get into crisis in this life. And some of you are like uh, preacher, I'm there, right? We're there. You read the paper lately? I mean, I realize none of you all read papers, but I still do. I get a literal newspaper. Anybody else born before the 2000s? Anybody else get a paper? Who gets a paper still? Come on. Come on. Be proud. Yeah! Keeping that that paper guy in business. Well, we look at this world, and we need faith. And we need faith in something greater than ourselves. Amen? So this morning, we're going to see five faith points through our passage. We're going to see in crisis, true faith leads us to humbly seek Jesus. When everything else fails, we turn to Jesus. I don't know what it is about my broken brain, but I seem to turn to everything else first. And then I'm like, oh yeah, Jesus. Our well, second faith point is true faith trusts in the sovereign authority of Jesus. Jesus is sovereign, and he has absolute authority. And it's really hard to trust in that sometimes. Would you all agree with that? Yeah. Third, true faith makes Jesus marvel. (laughs) I think this is one of my favorite points, really, of the morning. Like, Jesus, you know, when he returns, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? When he finds faith, Jesus marvels. Uh, Fourth point we will see is true faith leads to eternal feasting with Jesus. Yo, I'm eternally hungry. And there's going to be a meal coming. And then finally, true faith leads to answered prayers, which we all will be able to relate to. Well, we turn to Matthew 8, verses 5 through 13, we're very quickly introduced to a man who's not really named. His title is presented. He's a centurion. That means he was a Roman officer. He was over 100 soldiers. And he's coming to Jesus as Jesus is entering into Capernaum, which was a very prosperous city, one of the most prosperous Uh, on the Sea of Galilee, sitting on the western shores. And so Jesus, as he came down from the mount where the Sermon on the Mount was delivered, the crowds followed him. And in fact, we can read this in verses, uh, chapter 4 and 5, like the crowds followed Jesus up the hill and they followed Jesus down. And on the way, he healed the leper, as we saw last week. Well, now he enters into Capernaum and the centurion gets word. Jesus has arrived. And we're going to see here in verses 5 and 6 that in crisis, true faith leads us to humbly. And I want you to really hold on to that, humbly. Seek Jesus. When he, being Jesus, entered Capernaum, verse 5, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, begging, pleading. This was a posture, and it was a prayer. In fact, verse 6 is a prayer. It's spoken as a prayer, it's written as a prayer, and it's really a model of desperate prayer. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. This is intercession. This is getting down on our knees and, and and crying out to heaven on behalf of another person. There was nothing more loving than to in in, in real compassion to stop and to pray, Lord, this person's suffering. And I love this, this humble prayer of this centurion, he's, it's kind of fascinating that this is the guy who comes to Jesus in this posture because he's kind of the least likely person. He's a Roman. He's a soldier over soldiers. And he's going to model for us the, the greatest picture of humble faith like anywhere in the New Testament. And I wanna encourage you, as you read scripture, as you study scripture, um, this is one of those passages that's just very easy to just quickly read through and just kind of move on. Now I've often heard people say, you know, I read the Bible, I just don't get that much out of it. And I'm like, because you're doing it wrong. I know I'm not supposed to say that. I know I'm supposed to say, any old way you read the Bible is good. But if you ain't getting nothing from the scripture, you're doing it wrong. And chances are, you're probably reading too quickly and with not enough thought but if you slow down and you really observe and you ask questions and you see what's happening and you seek the lord you're like lord give me eyes to see it won't be just about hurrying up and getting through the bible in a year it'll be about slowing down and getting some scripture in the soul amen yeah so this this centurion approaches in desperation but also in humility He's in crisis. And so are we. I mean, we're in a world of crisis right now, aren't we? And I want to tell you right now that our greatest crisis is not the gas prices. You know, I, I just think about, like, how we, we just get so bent around the axle about something like that. And I'm like, there's people right now, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are literally being starved to death. Their homes are being destroyed. And we're like, dang, gas went up 20 cents. You know what the, I'm actually thankful. Every time I see the gas go up, I say, thank you, Lord. Because it reminds me to pray. It gets my eyeballs off myself. And I'm glad to pay more at the pump. Because it reminds me to pray for those who are truly suffering. Yeah, in crisis, we are led to Jesus. Listen to the humility of this man. The centurion said to Jesus, or Jesus said to the man, I will come and heal him. That's instantaneous. I'll come. But listen to the man. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy. I'm not worthy to even have you come under my roof. I mean, four words really encapsulate the humility of all true Christians as we approach Jesus in crisis and and really in life. I am not worthy. It is a phrase that we find three times in the the scriptures. The first time we find it is in the words of John the Baptist. I am not worthy to even loosen the strap of your sandal, Jesus. As Jesus It's telling John that John was going to baptize Jesus. I'm not worthy. The second time we read is right here in this context, the Roman centurion, I am not worthy. The third time we read that phrase, it is in the mouth of the prodigal son. I am no longer worthy to be even called your son I have shamed you. I have turned from you. I have walked away. I am no longer worthy. I am not worthy is actually the pathway to the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. See, there is a heresy. It's the heresy of arrogance. That somehow through my own merit... Or through my own goodness I somehow have earned something with God or will earn something from God I've heard people say you are worthy of the gospel I tell you this morning not one soul is worthy of the gospel not one that does not mean we are worthless no for God so loved us so much he gave his only son to suffer and die but I am not worthy of the gospel I'm not worthy of the least of the Lord's kindnesses. I am the prodigal. Taking my inheritance early, squandering it with prodigal living. Any other prodigals in here? Uh Some of you are like... I'm not worthy. Everything through Jesus is a gift of grace. But listen to this. True faith is humble. We turn to Jesus in crisis. But true faith trusts in the sovereign authority of Jesus. This blows my mind. Verse 8, the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word. Like, this centurion knew something about Jesus, and, it, and it's really encapsulated in the word authority. He knew that all Jesus had to do was speak. Listen to his, his, his understanding of authority. He says, Only say the word, and my servant will be healed, verse 9, for I too am a man under authority. With soldiers under me, I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. This is actually the most radical and profound display of true faith found in the Gospels. And it's like the least likely guy. You would never think a Roman Gentile centurion would have this type of radical faith. Because he understood the authority of Jesus And authority is fascinating Authority is best expressed in two, in two ways First, authority is expressed in official power okay, The centurion understood official power And what that means is authority received from someone greater The Roman centurion received his authority from the Roman Empire And specifically from the empo- em- uh, emperor He had official, delegated authority He had the authority of the empire. And then through that official power came ruling power, that is the authority to rule over what had been delegated to him. To the extent that when he spoke a word, he could command a soldier to go, that soldier would go. He could command a soldier to come, and that soldier would come. He would command a soldier to do something, and that soldier would do it. He had authority. And so when he came into Jesus' presence, he understood that Jesus possessed official power. That he had received the delegated authority of the Father in heaven. That this authority as the Son of God had come from God himself. And he understood ruling power. He understood that all Jesus had to do was speak. To speak a word, sickness would listen. Paralysis would listen. Creation would listen. Addictions would listen. Demons would listen. Lost souls would listen. The centurion did not fully know who Jesus was, but he knew something of Jesus that the majority of people that thronged about him didn't. He knew that Jesus had authority. He knew that when Jesus would speak, heaven would listen family, true faith, trust, in the sovereign authority of Jesus. I say sovereign. That means he's in control. And I know we're looking at the world right now and we're like, everything's out of control and nothing's, everything's just spinning. And I just want to be like, stop. Sovereign. Total authority over heaven and earth. Nothing is out of control. Not when we view the world through the lens of Jesus. And not when we view the the world through the lens of Scripture. See, true faith trusts in the sovereign authority of Jesus. And then we'll see right here, true faith makes Jesus marvel. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled. Isn't that a marvelous word? He marveled. Some of your versions may, may read something to the effect of, he was amazed. He was astounded. He was surprised. And he said to those who followed him, he's like, truly, he's like, okay, everybody, this guy, I've been walking through the land, I've not found one person who has more faith than this guy. He says, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. What an indictment. The very people that should have been the most full of faith were the people that were the faithless. They had the least amount of faith. And the person who shouldn't have any faith at all, this Gentile Roman centurion, has the most faith in all of Israel. I wonder what Jesus finds when he comes into the church. Because that's where you would expect to find the the people of faith, right? What an indictment that would be. For Jesus to come into his church and to find it be a a place where the faith tank is, is just empty but then to go into some other environment and to find people full of faith. There's two times where the word marvelous, marvel, is used of Jesus. One in the negative and and the other in the positive. The first time we we reread that Jesus marveled was when he visited his hometown. Mark chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. He he goes to Nazareth. He's teaching in the synagogue, and and he he marveled. And it wasn't a good thing. He marveled. There was so little faith. Mark 6, verses 5 through 6. Just astonishing. He could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Unbelief leads Jesus to move on. I mean, it was astounding to him. But then here... The faith of this Gentile Roman centurion made Jesus marvel in a good way. He's the one guy you would never expect to have great faith in Jesus, yet he does. We see that true faith makes Jesus marvel and move in power. And so Jesus leverages this particular conversation to to bring it to a discussion of salvation and of eternal destination. We see this in verse 11 Because true faith leads to eternal feasting with Jesus. Jesus says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table. This is so crazy. I mean, I love getting invited to a good meal. You know what I mean? How many times you get invited somewhere and you're like, is there going to be food? I mean, not that that's the reason why I would come, right? Getting invited to a wedding, you're like, are are we talking hors d'oeuvres? Light snacks, or are we talking like a meal? I mean, I'm there for the wedding. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> there's all kinds of things I want to be invited to, but there's one meal. There's one feast. I mean, I would honestly be just so utterly utterly thankful just to serve the table. I would be so thankful just to be able to serve this table. But Jesus doesn't say serve the table. He says recline with the great patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I realize that for some of us in here, we don't realize the significance of that. That's profound. I tell you, many will come from east and west. And when he says east and west, he's he's talking about the, the faithful Jewish people who had been dispersed. But he's also talking about the Gentile people. Who would come from east, like East Texas, and, and West, like West Texas. You know what I'm talking about? Like faithful who believe. And they were reclined at table in the kingdom of heaven. I mean, this is incredible. And this is this is the, the, the distinguishing characteristic between those who feast and those who famine is faith. Because those of faith will feast, but those of, who do not have faith will be in famine for eternity. But for those who are faithless, look at verse 12. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And, he, and he's like talking about in reference to this centurion, he's like, this guy may just be feasting, yet all who lack faith will be in famine. And when he talks about sons of the kingdom and daughters of the kingdom, what he's talking about are those who are of this fallen kingdom. Those who do not place their faith in Jesus, reject the gospel. You're cast it into eternal darkness and suffering. Now, I was having a conversation with a guy this last week. Great guy. And we were sitting there, we were talking the- theology and, and we're talking some scripture. And he goes, I just want to let you know right up front, I don't believe in what the Bible teaches. And I was like, okay, cool, let's talk about the Bible. <laughs> no, we just started talking, and it was crazy, because he was asking me a question I was talking and he goes, here's the deal, Here, here's what it comes down to. I cannot believe in a God who would send good people to hell. And I was like, you know, that makes a lot of logical sense. I can understand that. I can understand, one, why you believe people are good. I can, I can understand that. But then I was like, let's talk about goodness. You know, like how good are we as people? And I was like breaking it down. I'm like, do people, you see people who lie? He's like, oh yeah, people lie all over the place. People steal stuff? Yeah, there's, yeah. People murder? Well, of course, yeah. And where did you find that? He's like, well, everywhere on earth. And I'm like, so let's go back to that. Are people good? He's like, well, you know, I don't do all those things. I was like, you ever been mad at somebody? Because Jesus says that's equal to murder. And I was like, okay, let's talk about the other part, like sending people to hell. And I'm like, what kind of loving God would force a person who hates God to be in a place where they are made to worship God for eternity? What kind of loving God would take a person who hates God, who has no interest in the gospel, who has no desire to love and serve Jesus, why would God take that person and put them in a place where all we're going to do for eternity is worship and serve and bring glory to our God in heaven? What kind of loving God would force a person to do that? And he was like, well, I, don't, yeah, I wouldn't be very loving. And that is why Jesus says, to those who are of this kingdom, the only other eternal destination, there's one of feasting and there's one of famine. And the distinguishing between the two destinations is faith. And those you would expect to be at the feast, they may not be there. you be looking around, oh, I thought I'd see them. But the people you swore, like, there's no way, there's no way those people. I always love those people categories. There's no way that that person, I mean, they just stink spiritually. They may just be the people you're rubbing shoulders with, what, you're here? And they're going to be like, what, you're here? Whoa. True faith leads to eternal feasting with Jesus, but lack of faith leads to eternal famine. And then finally, true faith leads to answered prayer. This is so beautiful. Verse 13. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. See, that's the doorway into the kingdom. That was the moment I was saved, it was when I believed. When I placed my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. At that very moment, as you have spoken and believed, you've been saved. And I know we focus in, we want to see physical healings. But I will tell you, the true healing will take place when we enter into his presence in eternity. Every sickness will be healed. Every tear will be wiped away. All suffering will be in the past tense in Jesus And the servant was healed at that very moment. Wow, that's authority. All Jesus had to do was speak a word and he was healed. And I just want to tell you today, believe today. I don't know what it is that you're needing to believe Jesus for right now at this very moment, but I do know that each one of us is on a faith journey. And there are some things in your life right now that you are struggling to believe Jesus for. And maybe right now you're convinced, I'm never gonna see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Maybe that's just where you're at. Believe. There's no way that Jesus could love and save a person like me. You're the specific person he went to the cross for. He loves you. Believe today. Maybe you are at a place in your marriage where you're like, it's over. I'm like, that's a great place to be because that's when Jesus starts doing the work. I one time sat with a couple. I was like, okay, on a scale of one to 10, I've done this multiple times. Where's your marriage right now? Zero. I was like, awesome. Awesome. They were sitting there like, what? Are you broken? We said zero. I'm like, you can only go up. So I'm like, one would be a miracle. Let's get to one. Believe him. Some of us have children who have wandered away. And today you're convinced they'll never come back. Believe. Believe. This world tells you to stop believing. Believe. Have faith today. Fan each other's faith into a roaring fire. This should be a place of faith. Believe pray we are filled with faith, a greater faith. So we'll close with a few applications. One, I just want to say believe. I just feel like that's what we need right now. We need to believe. In desperation, humbly turn to Jesus in faith. I'd love to tell you that would be the first thing we do, but that usually isn't. Trust in the absolute authority of Jesus. Pray prayers of faith. I mean, this is taken right from the text. And accept the invitation into the kingdom. The table is set. The invitations are sent. Some will receive the invitation and they'll be busy. Some have more important things to do. But for those who are of the kingdom of God, they receive the invitation They will wear the robes of righteousness in Christ. And they will recline at table. Lord, we thank you for this morning and the study of your scripture. Please, please grow our faith. And right now, for some of us, it's small, like a little tiny mustard seed. But you tell us. You take that little mustard seed, and it gets planted in the soil of you, and it it just grows. Take that little bit of faith and give it to Jesus. If you have not received the invitation to place your faith, your trust in Jesus for the salvation of your soul, and you feel like you are being called today in the quietness of your heart, tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me. I believe you were buried, and I believe you have risen, and you live right now. Father, I believe you sent your son. Please save my life. If that's truly your heart's prayer, if you're in that place of desperation and you know you need Jesus more than anything right now, invite him into your life at that very moment. What is it that you need? What is it that you are struggling to believe Jesus for? I love the prayer of a father who said, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. So Lord, I pray that you take these issues, these things that are in our minds and our hearts, I pray that you would give greater faith to us to believe in you, to believe in who you are, to believe in your authority and your power, fan our little, our little flicker of faith into a roaring fire. That we would be so filled with you. And Lord, we will walk by faith and not by sight. We ask this by faith and in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, family, let's stand together. People of faith and stretch. Because it's time, right? It's time to go into the world in peace have courage, hold on to what is good, honor all men, strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all Till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, family, No, no, you're loved. No, 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 you're loved. And don't forget there's a bicycle up here to the highest bidder. And I hope you all have a wonderful day. Lavish love on one another as we carry it out into this world. Have a great week.